besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. The solar panels work in winter. Solar energy output in Australia throughout winter is surprisingly high in some cities. You can learn more about better solar energy at B-Solar. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Indeed, a very warm welcome, everybody. Your home at tennis. Uh, Brett Phillips uh, back with you in the studio tonight after uh, a couple of weeks in the desert. Beautiful Indian Wells in Southern California. Love to take your calls uh, again uh, tonight after a little hiatus in that area. one 736 736 Your texts are very welcome tonight. 0433981116. Thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. They've got fast delivery. Magnificent prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Go shopping tonight while you're listening. Tennisdirect.com.au. Use that code FIRSTSERVE10. Get a nice little discount as well. On the B-Solar menu tonight, the latest encore. Chris Cachel to reflect on his 50 years in tennis and his mighty contribution. And Graham Woofer-Charlton a little bit later on. But firstly, my first opportunity on this show to pay tribute to Ash Barty since her retirement announcement last Wednesday. Quite simply, Ash, thank you. You played tennis in a way that made me never want to miss a match as a commentator or as a spectator. Almost salivating right now, actually. That backhand slice, the chip return, the whip forehand cross court, the clutch serves just when you needed a free point. Authentic, humble, genuine, but always being you, doing it your way. And I'll never forget you saying that tennis won't totally define me. Whilst I didn't expect your exit to come quite now, it was never going to surprise me and others if you walked away earlier than expected. How fortunate was I, in my one trip thus far to Roland Garros 2019, that you win the whole thing. Your first Grand Slam. And after each of your seven matches that year in Paris, you granted me a one-on-one interview on the back of your press conferences. And we were able to call that final at the last minute back to SEN, and that came off my mobile phone. I'll never forget it. It's been a pleasure as a tennis broadcaster and your win at this year's Australian Open will go down as my favourite ever live sporting call for the history you created and the drought that you broke and the power of radio to have so many tuned in around the world conversing with us, writing every single shot. We'll never forget it. Look forward to seeing what the next chapter brings. If you want to share a highlight, a thought, some memories of Ash Barty tonight, you're certainly welcome as we've had this opportunity on this show, post your announcement last Wednesday. one 736 736 Just before we uh, get into what has been happening in Miami, uh, Justin in Coburg has uh, joined us on the line to have a little bit of a chat with us tonight, just to reflect on uh, Ash. Justin, I think we've got you there. Welcome to the show. How are you, man? Long time now here. I haven't spoken to you for a while. Good to have you on board. Yeah, no, I've just been doing some home renovation, so I just thought I'd um, take the time and have a chat about Ash Barty. What's the first thing that sort of comes to your mind with Ash and her retirement? But what, when you close your eyes and you think of Ash Barty, what do you think of, Justin? Um, her winning the Australian Open. It's a great way to go out, isn't it? I mean, not many sports people get to go out 
on the highest of highs. Some play probably too long because they don't want to walk away from their passion, their sport. But uh, that is just, I mean, that night I will never forget. I'll never forget the text machine that night and the power of radio. We had people all over the world listening in. I'll never forget the truck driver who was between Cootamundra and Hay in New South Wales. He had to pull over because his hands were shaking, trying to get Ash to the finish line. And, yeah, it's um, the perfect way to go out. She didn't totally padlock the door last uh, week. We know retirement can be a loose word in sport, so who knows? Um, I think those competitive juices will always be an ash. But if it's not tennis, um, there'll be another chapter, I feel, as far as sport is concerned. Let's get to the on-court action. Miami Open, that's the focus right now on the back of Indian Wells. Today it was a special case, both advancing to the fourth round. Nick Kyrgios first, 6-2, 6-4 over the Italian Fabio Fonini. Well, Nick, well done. Only losing eight points on serve today. How effective was that, you, the serve, and the serve plus one? Well, um, I felt like I'm a bit hard on myself now. I thought I didn't really serve that well for some reason. Um, but, you know, I guess just high standards. You know, I want to keep my, like that momentum from the last match going. Um, as soon as I had some break points, I wanted to take them early. I know that Fabio can kind of get a little bit disinterested when, you know, things don't go his way straight away. So, you know, I thought my energy was great. You know, when he was a bit flat, it's easy to kind of get lulled into that. But I, I stayed on top of it. I served well, and I'm just happy to get through. Yeah, those moments early in the match really kind of told the story. That seems like it was the game plan, though, the aggressive returning early. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that's – I'm just returning well. I think doubles – I don't give enough credit to doubles. That's what helped me a lot. Um, you know, I think me and Thanasi as well are both returning a lot better on the singles court. So the way I'm serving, the way I'm returning, and the way I'm working for points and, and competing, it's, it's quite a sight to see. Thanasi, you mentioned him as well. Uh, listen, he's having a great year. The big win for him four years ago against Federer here. And I'm just wondering what it's like for you to see him have this resurgence here in 2022. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to see. You know, we, 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 I just see him and I just see him in the locker room and getting lunch. And he's just a happier person. I don't really care about, you know, results and, and all that type of stuff. You know, I know what he's capable of. I've grown up with him. But to see him finally happy and not, you know, in those dark places where he was struggling with his body, whether he was even going to think about playing again, you know, those are some scary thoughts. And to just see him happy, enjoying himself, being at these events and winning, you know, I don't really care about the winning part. I just see him happy as a person. And I'll always be there for him. And I was, you know, I saw him go through that. And to see what he's achieved is pretty special. we got some doubles still somehow. We're still keep, we're just number one doubles team in the world, baby. So we'll keep it going. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, uh, courtside, just after he won today against Fabio. We love Fabio. <laughs> I tried to get him to an on-court interview in Sydney about three years ago, and he walked off court. And uh, they had to uh, go and say, Fabio, you've got some commitments here. And he casually walked over. He had a new uh, a new kid on to start uh, 2022. Uh, he can do anything on a tennis court. He can look like he has no interest in being there. And then all of a sudden, he just gets going. And his skill execution, we know the Italians are just... Uh, born to play tennis, and right now they um, they are certainly dominating, but Fabio is sort of the veteran in the pack of uh, some of the young Italians at the moment. So curious to play Yannick Sinner. Speaking of Italians, I was supposed to meet at Indian Wells. Sinner pulled out with illness, so we get to have a look at that, which will be fantastic. And Kokonakis today had to see off a pretty uh, dogged Dennis Kudler, who's predominantly played on the challenges, gets his opportunity at various times to play on the ATP Tour, but Kokonakis really solid today, plays Alexander Zverev next, so that'll be a big step up, but he, he's going nicely, Thanasi. He's putting together some pretty good tennis at the moment, so they got the walkover today in the double, so they're through to the quarterfinals, and they could certainly uh, win the whole thing. I wanted to give uh, Darius Saville a, a shout-out. As I mentioned on the shows from Indian Wells the last three weeks, I was able to catch up with Dasher a couple of times. 
She's gone from 400 to 160 in the space of three weeks. And that ranking is going to continue to come down. We know she's a top 100 player. She's brought the level back. Uh, the wheels are uh, certainly moving for her. She's got uh, Bronzetti next, who was absolutely a deer in headlights against Ash Barty. I think it was second round of the AO this year as Ash uh, basically decimated everyone on the way to the final. So that's a huge opportunity for Asher to win that, uh, to win that match and possibly Belinda Bencic in the next round. And tomorrow, Alex uh, Demonorn to play Stefanos Tsitsipas. So we know that's going to be a challenge. But gee, I'd love to see Demonor and Alcaraz go head to head. I mean, I can't sing the praises of the young Spaniard enough. He is just destined for the top of the sport. We've been saying that the last uh, few weeks. Uh, Demonor, though, big challenge to get past Tsitsipas and Alcaraz to play uh, Marin Cilic. Fritz is still in the draw after a good Indian Wells. Brooksky, Medvedev. Uh, so Miami is just getting into full swing, really heating up at Hard Rock uh, Stadium there in Miami. And we'll keep across that on our socials, on our website. Keep an eye on all the daily news, thefirstserve.com.au and also uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I do need to mention Rinky Hijikata. Great win for Rinky today. We spoke to him on the first serve last week. So back-to-back wins in California. He's seventh the ITF title. He's 23-7 and win-loss this year. He's up to a career-high 258. I watched his last three matches of this particular tournament. I mean, he brings really good sound fundamentals out on the tennis court. He competes. He's got some real passion, and he hates to lose. I mean, he's got all the DNA that we love in a tennis player. You know, we think about John Millman over the years. We think about the way Demonor goes about it. We think about the way Jordan Thompson goes about it. They all compete and try and get the absolute best out of themselves, and that's all you can ask. And everyone's blessed with a different skill set. Uh, but I like Rinky. I like what he's doing. He's had a stint in college. I spoke to him at the juniors at the US Open about three years ago, and you could just see in the young man's eyes that he uh, was destined for better things. So great win for him, back-to-back, uh, and hopefully in the next few months can crack uh, the top 200. And Olivia Kadecki, I need to mention her before we go to the break. So she's had three finals this year. We know she didn't play in January because she didn't want to be vaccinated. But since the start of uh, Feb, uh, she's put together some pretty good results. I think she's 16 and 5. She's made three finals. She's inside the top 200 for the first time. Hasn't quite been able to get over the line in some of those finals, but her trajectory is uh, is certainly on the right path. So uh, plenty of tennis news around in Canberra this week, uh, hosting another 25K for the men, 60K for the women, before our Aussies will start to spread overseas. So life on tour, thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. Chris Cajal. Next, he's my special guest in the studio. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B Solar advisor. Visit B.Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Nice to be back in the studio uh, tonight. Uh, if we're going to preview Sinner and Kyrgios, there's only one man to go to. Johnny in Kensington. Come in, John. Welcome. Hey, Miss. How are you, buddy? I'm going Listen, well. Mate, Set I it up just... for me. All right. Look, I was in a very dark place two weeks ago, mate. I I had COVID, but my one uh, one reassuring thing was I, I was watching Juve play very well. And in Turin, and they went down. I thought, well, at least I've got to watch 
Cinder and Curios play, and then I looked at the screen, and Cinder had pulled out, so I had a yeah. really bad day. But yep. I was watching them, and it's so nice to talk about Nick in the right way for, for once, you know. He's been playing unbelievable. And uh, to watch Cinder this morning, I don't know if you watched that match. I had the pleasure of watching that. Thanks, that was yeah, just lovely. Unbelievable. You know, saving five match points. I thought he was going at all money. Yeah. 5-2 in the third. I thought, there's no coming back here. And to come <laughs> back the way he did, because I knew he had to play. I knew Fabio, but you know, I love Fabio. I knew Fabio. But, you know, yeah. this morning watching Fabio and Nick, it was just, they just really treated each other really well. You know, I, I thought that there was a lot of respect there. You yeah, know, they're both it. the same sort of player. Fans are pretty entertaining. Who wins, uh, John? Sinner, Kyrgios, who wins it? Uh, look, look, I think Sinner's playing and the way Nick's playing is very hard to pick, mate. But but I just think the consistency of Sinner, mate. I, I know I'm biased, but I just think he'll be too consistent for him, you know. And oh. I, and I think he's very cool. Unlike Rublev, he got rattled, mate. Yeah. But Sinner, he's very cool. Do what he did this morning. Yeah, beautiful. Looking forward to it. Hey, let's dissect it. Uh, next Monday on the show. Look forward to your call back. Uh, when's that going to be? Not tomorrow morning. The morning after for Kyrgios and Sinner. Well, after five decades involved in tennis as a player, coach and tennis administrator, my guest in the studio tonight has officially hung up the racket. He's retired. Chris Cudgell. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome into the studio. Hey, that's what he deserves. I was reading a LinkedIn post, and I reckon there's about 120 comments of love for you and your contribution to the game. And so many people said, you've got to get Chris on the show. And get him in. It's great to see you. We've met before, but <laughs> nice to uh, recognise your you know great contribution you've made over a long time. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Um, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. Yeah, I was blown away by the uh, responses from Australia and um, overseas. Um, an incredible journey from a 15-year-old leaving Tamworth, moving to Sydney. Yep. Um, and yeah, 50 years. Incredible. Game. So just to set it up for those that, you know, of different generations who are tuning into our show, play professionally, singles, career-high 73, doubles, career-high 19, three career doubles titles, highest ranking, um, as I said there, 19, semi-final Australian Open and US Open. So your career panned out, was about eight years? From about yeah. the early 70s through about 1980? 73 yep. through 80. So I played the circuit for eight years. My first trip away was with Mark Edmondson. And in '76, uh, he won the Australian Open. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was always the topic of uh, a great trivia question. Yes, for yeah, a long time. Yeah, very good. Still is. Still is. <laughs> Still is. So I've got to say, I mean, just when you think about your playing side, how do you sort of sum it up? I mean, there have been a couple of moments uh, of pretty special moments. I'm going to recall here with you. But when you think back to your playing days and and the era that you played in, what tennis was like back then? Yeah, look, I, I think it was probably one of the better eras to uh, to play in and the camaraderie of the Australian players was fantastic. And yep. I've, I've got to give a shout out here to uh, Ken Rosewell. He sort of moulded me as the player, as the person that I am today in my coaching philosophy. And it all went back to practising with Ken and it was like the words to the effect of training is like war, not against me, yep. but against the ball. And if you don't put in, basically, nickel. And as I said, that, that was something that has stayed with me right through playing, coaching. If you, if you don't put in 100%, you actually regress. You go backwards. Mm. 
And like there weren't a lot of coaches around at the time. Yep. Obviously, Borg had uh, his coach, but the Australians, we, we were pretty much on our own. Um, so you had to fend for yourself. So, and I think that's where, in my mind, um, looking at the game from a tactical point of view as a player and taking that through to a coach. So, uh, but yeah, as I said, the camaraderie was sensational back then. Now, I want to I want to look at uh, a man that you beat, and you beat him twice. The great Arthur Ashe. Mm-hmm. The, the stadium at the US Open named after the great uh, Arthur Ashe. Of course, former world number one, uh, three-time uh, major winner. So, 1976, he was 12 in the world. That was the win you had in Sydney. And then three years later, you played him at Wimbledon, opening round of 1979, when he was eight in the world. In fact, I think you'd met a week or two before at Queen's mm, yeah. uh, where he had a comfortable victory, but you reversed yeah. it, Chris. But just take us through the memories of those two great wins against uh, one of the icons of the sport. Yeah, look, 76 in Sydney. Um, I had to come through qualifying, so uh, I think I won two or three matches to qualify and then played Arthur first round. Um, and I guess that's where the seeds are vulnerable first up. But a big shout out to the late Bob Carmichael, who, yeah. uh, again, a great tactician, gave me a very simple game plan to uh, play Arthur. Um, I went out, I executed it unbelievably well and got the match in uh, straight sets. And then further down the track, yeah, three years later, I played him at Queen's, the lead-up tournament to Wimbledon in 79. Mm. Uh, Centre court there at Queen's and I got absolutely flogged. So... <laughs> Nothing worked, and then drew him for Wimbledon. So I thought, oh, that's that's not great. Um, but again, on the graveyard court, court number two, um, mm. I played as well as I could possibly play, and he was a little bit off, and I won in three straight sets. So, yeah, two uh, two one against uh, the great Arthur. Can you remember what sort of the headlines were that day, or what, what oh, was the sort of storyline it, it, around it? Was, it? it was sort of um, Bush boy comes good. Uh, <laughs> That was on a poster out of, um, I think, the Daily Telegraph in Sydney, one in the eye for Arthur. Yep. Um, But again, you know, the highs and lows of tennis, I think I played equally as well next match, and I played a big Swedish guy called uh, Ove Benson out on court 13, Mm. which the grass courts back then were a bit rough, so balls were bouncing everywhere. And I lost, I think it was 6-4 in the uh, fifth after being down two sets to love. So the highs and lows... But knowing that I gave it my best shot, it come up a little bit short. Yeah. So 1980, you're only... 23. I retired at 23 so after you, eight years. You give us the, sort of the context around all that. Um, yeah, look, as I said, when, when you think a country kid um, heading to Sydney, eight years on tour, um, and I just felt the last couple of years I had a calling to go into uh, coaching. Mm. Um, got married to the lovely Kay. Um, and settled settled in Melbourne, yeah. Okay. So was that an era, I'm just trying to think back, I mean, obviously we, you know, in hearing the news of Ash last week, we were trying to think back, you know, Bjorn Borg retired, what, he was 26? 26, I think it was, yeah. There have yeah. been others on the women's side that have, you know, come in so young and had, you know, teen success, like Hingis and Capriati mm. and others who have retired, and Hingis sort of came back and had a, a second career, but was it, what was the sort of average longevity back then on oh, the tour? Look, in, in hindsight, I probably should have maybe stayed on and played doubles. But, but the prize money back then, you know, like it was yeah. nothing what yep. it is to uh, today. I think like first round at Wimbledon, I think it was was £100 back in the day. So that's not going to go too far. 
And how many so, weeks were you away back then? Well, what, the one year, um, the Australian Open was played over uh, Christmas in yep. December, mm. left in January, got back after the US Open. So back in, uh, say, early September, a couple of weeks off, and then went on the Asian tour for another four or five weeks. Yep. So you could be anywhere up to nine, nine months on the road. Yeah. If you've got a question tonight, for Chris Cutchell, you can certainly call in one three hundred seven three six seven three six as we uh, reminisce on his uh, fifty years uh, in the game, which has come to a close. You had been working at TA, and we'll certainly uh, have a look at that uh, a little bit uh, later on. So you talk about the appetite for for coaching. How did that then transition from playing to coaching, and and how did you get the ball rolling with that? Yeah, look, I I came straight off the tour in 1980 and went into um, running my own tennis academy at Doncaster Tennis Club uh, here in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and so I was there for 10 years. Now, when when you look back on that, you know, a lot of coaches these days they just want to go straight to the top uh, and work in high performance, but I looked at that as a great apprenticeship mm. and learn the art of coaching yep. at club level before you go into the next level. Um, so yeah, that, that was a great experience, you know, coaching midweek ladies to the young, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds, full to, gamut. to pennant players, the yep. full gamut. Yeah. Yep. And, and the art of coaching. Yeah. And what was the initial philosophy that you brought in and then how much has that sort of changed and evolved? I mean, coaches are always learning, aren't they? And always, yeah trying to keep up with modern trends, but also how every coach has their their philosophy and some sound, you know, some non-negotiables, if you like, of how the game should look and be played. Yeah, in- interesting one. I, I guess my main philosophy was around the care factor. It didn't matter what standard they were, that you had something to, uh, to offer that particular player mm. uh, and trying to put a pathway in place that they could go down that pathway. So care, care factor was probably the number one in my philosophy and, and as I said looking after all the stakeholders involved yep what we'll do is take a break we'll come back and continue the coaching discussion and then into the admin part of course with TA down the track Chris Cajal our special guest on the first serve tonight better solar better batteries better energy with V Solar you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill talk with a V Solar advisor visit V.Solar to learn more GLG Greenlight Group leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Chris Cudgel, our special guest in the studio tonight. 50 years in tennis. He's been a player. We're going down the coaching path with him. He's also been in the coach ed uh, space, uh, that admin space with uh, Tennis Australia. Paul Lakin, who you would uh, know, uh, Chris, a great friend of the program, has been a host, co-host on this show over the years. Amazing coach, an incredible role model on the text. Please ask Chris what state-grade pennant meant to him. That was incredible, state pennant, um, back in the 80s. It, it was super strong. There were a lot of players that just came off the, uh, off the tour, um, Paul was in our team at uh, MCC. You know, we, we had great, uh, great times through that, and it was a great learning curve for everyone. And it, and it was a very, very strong competition. Good on you, Paul. Thank you for that. We could probably talk about that for an hour and all the stories <laughs> and the characters around it. So you've gone from being a player, retiring in your mid twenties, to Doncaster Tennis Club for uh, the best part of uh, a decade, and then you, you found your way to the AIS and. Back in that era, you were there for 12 years, what, 1990 to about 2002. The AIS was, that was heaving, wasn't it? Yeah. That was the place to be. 
It, uh, well, what an honour to head up the top program uh, in the country. Yeah, it was. The majority of sports were uh, at the AAS in uh, Canberra. It was a great facility. Uh, we had the indoor, outdoor courts, and uh, I had a passion for the clay courts, and we put in two, uh, two clay courts. And to have the best players um, come into a centralised program was something uh, special. But having said that, as time went by in 1996, so six years in, the program was relocated here to Melbourne. Mm. And the, the thinking behind that was we're a Grand Slam nation. We probably should have our top tennis program at the home of tennis here in Melbourne. So that, that, was, that was a big move in, uh, in 96. And one of the things that come into play there was um, I introduced homestay families. Okay. Um, and then because of that, I, I was never big on athletes being in the dormitories. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's a tough, tough, tough grind. And I'll never forget Rob D. Costello said to me, make sure you get it right because you'll only get one chance. And I think we got it right. Yeah. So 12 years there, you won the Australia Sports Medal for Service to Sport, which must have, you must have been pretty chuffed about. Yeah, yeah, no, great honour. You don't go looking for that, but that was a, a nice honour to receive that, yeah. Then a couple of years on the WTA Tour, can you recall yeah, the yeah, coaching look, I, journey I, there? Um, yeah, yeah, that was different. Um, my first year was with uh, Evie Dominikovic, mm. and um, Evie had a career high of um, 55. Yep. So that was a great experience. And then the second year was with uh, an American player, um, Jenny Hopkins, who's married to uh, Taylor Dent. Yes. So, and Ray Ruffles was the instigator of piecing that all together. Yeah. But it was unfortunate with Jenny. She had a, um, a wrist injury which sort of curtailed everything. It made it very difficult to, uh, to do a lot of things that you wanted to do because she, uh, she broke down at the French there one year and never really recovered from that, yeah. And then you had a stint in China, which some Australian coaches have gone and done. I remember speaking to Mark Illawaddy in the studio a couple of years ago, I had a couple of years in China, which is an experience in itself yeah, from a lifestyle yeah, point of view. Exactly, yeah. Now, well, I was a travelling coach, so they identified uh, nine athletes under Lee Nair for the uh, London Olympics, and I was working with um, two of those uh, players. And as I said, it was in six-week blocks. So I'd go do my six weeks, come back. Um, but the first six-week block was an interesting one, a training camp in uh, Guangzhou, which really opened my eyes to uh, you know the effort that they put in. And, and just two words that came out of that were was all about footwork, dynamic yep. and explosive. That's mm. all they talked about. I had to write up a program. For the six weeks for the two athletes, do you think they used it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was just hit tennis balls. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, I mean, I imagine it's a bit like all sports there. They sort of, they're very drilled, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. And in the end, again, with values and behaviours, yep. it probably cost me uh, my job, which, and I'll say to any coach out there, don't be afraid to lose your job. Mm. And one of, the, one of the things they were big on, you know, you do your training block, but then you go to the tournament, and it wouldn't matter whether it was six one six two or seven five in the third. They want to go out and hit for two or three hours, and I was never big on that. I was always I'll identify a couple of things from the matches. We'll go and do ten or fifteen minutes, keep you fresh for whatever going uh, going forward. Anyway, this particular player wasn't uh, impressed with that. She won the tournament, um, went back to China, and I got the email. Thanks very much. Right. Um, yeah. It'd be a ruthless game at times. Yeah, yeah. But again, you just put it down to experience, move yep. on. There's no point worrying about it. Yeah. So then you go and have a, a stint with the, the governing body here. 
So you've sort of you've been external. You go uh, internal into tennis Australia. You've had a few different sort of portfolios. Yeah, yeah. T- take us through the last sort of decade. So, so the last eleven years at TA, um, the, the with the, with the redevelopment of Melbourne Park, uh, one of my passions was clay courts. So when I was at the AS, I think it was about nineteen ninety one. I bought the um, profile back from Roland Garros to build the uh, clay court. So. Craig Tiley knew that I had a passion for uh, for clay and how important it was for Australian uh, tennis. So I started out as a consultant on the clay. I went around Australia to see what was available. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. We um, did a, put a research centre together at um, Macquarie University in Sydney. Had five different uh, clay courts down up there that clients, coaches, etc., players could come and play, go from court to court. So mm. that gave you a good feel of what was uh, what was available. So that was the clay court, and in the end, the Italian clay won out. Um, it's it's a great surface, um, and I think we got half the equation right um, in Australia now with the clay. But I still think we need to be in Europe a hell of a lot more. So that was half. The other half was the um, coach education component where I was heavily involved with the uh, high performance course um, as an assessor, uh, helping out with the workshops, mentoring, site visits, the next gen program, same thing, um, and a lot of mentoring and work with a great um, team with Belinda Colinari and yep. Scotty Draper. You couldn't get a better team to uh, work with. We bounced off each other beautifully. Chris, uh, I'd love more time. We're, we're always hamstrung for time, but just to sum it up in a in a minute, I mean, just what tennis has meant to you and what it's what it's given you the most. Um, just a a love of a sport, I, I guess. You know, from from day one, I remember um, I always wanted to play Wimbledon. Uh, I achieved that, yep. and and just the love of the love of the sport. What what a great sport to be involved in. Yeah, and yep. to be able to play. You know, I'm out there hitting with my grandson now. And it's just so good. You can play it at any age. Yeah. And just a, a quick word on Ash Barty. Yeah. Um, look, what a great role model. Um, a fantastic tennis player. It's going to leave a huge gap. Um, what you said in your uh, intro, let's hope the door's not uh, no. totally closed and uh, she comes back further down the track. But yeah, no, a great role model, great person, great for tennis. Leaves a huge gap. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. I just wanted to give people a snapshot of the contribution you've made across lots of different areas. You've played, you've coached, you've ad- administrated, and uh, I'm sure even though you can now sort of put the feet up, that the tennis will still run through the veins in some capacity. So uh, job well done. Thank you. Chris Cardwell joining us to reflect on his career. Uh, all thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre, a mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north, which is tennis for everyone, perfect also for coaches and players. If you're coming from interstate to train and compete, it's close to Melbourne Airport. Accommodation just around the corner. You can find out more at humetennis.com.au. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Always great to be with you on a Monday night. Brett Phillips in the chair. Our continuing UTR discussion, Graham Woofer-Charlton, 40 years coaching at the Terrelgan Tennis Association here in Victoria. He's actually on court uh, coaching right now. He started at 6am this morning. So we actually caught up earlier today for his take on UTR. All thanks to Yonex, 76 years of performance product crafted in Japan. Check out their latest range at yonex.com.
a couple of years ago when UTR was first forming, I wanted to really understand it. And I was actually really excited by it. I thought, wow, this could be the new, you know, the big new butte. So I started using it consistently just before COVID and during COVID. A lot of problems I saw came up like in the bush, I'm talking about, you know, small numbers. I'd, getting, I'd be getting, say, 48 of my best kids on a Sunday. I'm having 12 groups of four and then we put them in those groups and they just kept playing the same people week in, week out. I tried to shuffle it around. There's a lot of negativity because the people up the top, even though they're winning all their matches, things were going down. Their UTR was going down. Kids on the bottom were losing all their matches, but, you know, having some close matches, theirs was going up. And just started creating a few holes. So, you know, lack of numbers, I think, is the big thing. The big thing that really floats my boat, and I know it comes back to personal attitude. As a coach, I say to the kids, how are you going to get better if we don't play? But their attitude is a lot of them, and these are my kids that have been brought them up from four years of age now, you know, playing national titles. They're worried about their UTR. They're just so worried they'd rather not play the game, which is ridiculous but we have to listen to the clientele. It's very sad that you have a massive element. You know, I went to a group of tournaments over the long weekend. I had a dozen players playing down at four different tournaments. I normally take them all to one. We all normally go to Wodonga. For about 15 years, we've gone to the Wodonga tennis tournament. I saw the entries were really, really low. Worried about small groups playing the same people all the time again. I had some play Melbourne Park. I had some play the Premier Event, 12s, 14s, 16s at Waverley. Some played Burundara and some played a local tournament in Knoxville. So I was driving around like a lunatic but it was great to see matches and you know what they all were close matches you know so that's the positive thing but the big negative was in the girls event I had four young ladies in the open event down there at Melbourne Park one played at one singles and one doubles she had two walkovers sorry she played two singles and she had three walkovers in the singles people just see they're going to play someone a lot lower don't want to play for whatever reason so we really need generally our culture is magnificent you know I stress so much that how are you going to get better if you don't play, you have to play. The other elements too are with the ITF. You know, the ITF doesn't marry up with the UTR for a few players. Play. You have to spoke to David Bullion a few weeks ago. I've coached Dave since he's a little boy. He's a beautiful person. For him to speak out is crazy because he's he's passionate, very intelligent young man. They used last year's Australian ranking to rank the players to get them in the draw for the, the early Canberra Futures event. So it just doesn't marry up with the ITF as well. It's just a lot of negativity about it and it's scary, very scary. Graeme, is there a platform for coaches like yourself around Victoria, but you know, around Australia to provide your feedback? How's that relationship with sort of TA and having some constructive dialogue and discussion about how it's all sort of rolling out? Yeah, I was lucky enough to be a part of a committee the last couple of years, which was obviously difficult with COVID. For the last three years, discuss all the tennis and work out the pros and cons. And the UTR was, you know, a high part of it and the new restructure of, of zone squads and, and, and platform. And, you know, they're very interested. And I'm a firm believer. You've got to try things. You've got to have a go. That's the only way you actually learn and you grow. You make good decisions, you make bad decisions, you learn from those and you make it better. So, you know, they've been working very hard through CT trying to drive this, but this was quite a surprise to me that it became the new Butte. I thought it would be used with ranking. I know there's plenty of flaws with the ranking system when you see how it actually motivates kids and kids actually want to get a better ranking whether it's false i know there's heaps of problems with high performance and trying to select the best three in australia and they can chase around points and it's not totally 
in a great hierarchy. But at the end of the day, got a lot of kids playing tennis. So the UTR is magnificent in lots of areas, but as a ranking system, it's very flawed. Okay, so you've been around a long time, a lot of experience. Have you got your own notepad out, so to speak, and got a firm idea? And have you got clarity in your mind what it actually should look like? our ranking system here, the way we're evaluating players and, and, and the talent? Definitely. I really believe it's all about the calendar, how TA sets out a calendar. Now, it's Tennis Victoria, Tennis New South Wales. That's all TA, in, in my opinion. And, well, it is. So, basically, a calendar needs to be formed. TA, and through their state bodies, need to actually have a structured calendar with our four levels of tennis. I mean, a few years ago, when they had, they had platinum, gold, silver, bronze, and white. That was a brilliant system. But unfortunately, the politics of it all makes it very complex when you're asking clubs who do need tournaments for revenue to put in. It's a dog's breakfast of events. And, and I say this with utmost respect. It doesn't sound like there's much respect, but it's a complex job and a very difficult job. But for instance, and it's not this easy, if you have a, a, a gold tournament and a bronze tournament in Melbourne and you have a white tournament in Bendigo and a silver tournament in Terrellgan, you're giving everyone the opportunity with minimum events to go to events and play and fill them up. It's not as easy as that, but it needs to be actually run by the governing body rather than let everyone and say we need a tournament we need a tournament we need a tournament throw x amount of tournaments in and you've got events that are never going to work because you've got three in melbourne one in bendigo one in terrelbin setting up failures so it's a complex equation the only way to work is to actually manage it and as a leader would do and work these opportunities and then work it out from there because it's crazy and this is when the utr can come into place as jason lindham was saying you can use the utr in a way to divide these ranking tournaments as well. It's one of those things where you have to get maximum numbers. We are losing the 12s, 14s, 16s because everyone's playing up. We all know that. Country events are failing and some of the best venues. I generally go to country events because I take a team of 15, 20 people. We can stay across the road. We can walk down the courts. I can watch you know, on the 30 courts at Wodonga. I can watch on the, the 20 courts at Geelong. I can watch, you know, Bendigo's 24 courts. So I can go around and do a lot of good work and go to these venues. So these venues are not just in the bush. If they fail, a lot of, you know, tennis will will fail, especially in the country. You've been in Terrelgan for, you know, a long time, as we said. What about just the health of country tennis right now? No, it's very scary. You know, Susie Grumley, the manager at Terrelgan Tennis Club, has been there for 17 years, doing a great job. You know, the calendar's coming out and uh, they're forming the calendar for the year. So we were looking at tournaments and I'm generally... A very positive person, the glass half full, let's have a crack, let's try it, don't suck about it, let's get on with the job and then proofs in the pudding. And Susie was talking about tournaments and I was just totally confused because it's such a big expense to have these tournaments and, and what's right and what's wrong. And as I just said, I said to Susie, look, put in for a couple of tournaments and let's just see how it rolls. But it really depends in the calendar once again who they're up against. No one's going to come this side of Melbourne if, and spend you know $1,500 for the week or more if they can play events in Melbourne and obviously with the UTR numbers being the absolute you know must when you're playing a tournament now to get you know variety and, and get good numbers so you get a solid draw I can't see them coming so um, and that means our kids here which we have a magnificent base of juniors here you know I will advise them to go somewhere else which is ridiculous because they'll need to go somewhere else there's been four kids I've had in college the last few years and there's two going one more going next year young lady 
two going the year after, already teed up, and probably three. You know, these are the kids that are scared about their UTR as well. This is where, as a coach, you get really confused. If they haven't got a high UTR, they will not get in, into college or a, as good a scholarship. So they're very nervous about playing, which I know sounds ridiculous, and I know, but it's their life their career path, they've worked on it for a long, long time. And now they're very nervous because US coaches are all saying, watch your UTR, watch your UTR. US coaches are ignorant in a lot of times what's going on here. They just want to know you've got a good UTR, yet we want you and they go on that UTR. So these are all uh, the worries for um, for country tennis. It's, it, it's very scary. Just talking to enough people across the last few weeks, it seems like there needs to be some pretty urgent sort of discussions to find the happy medium. If I could give you an example, I've, I've saw a lot, and because you're in a country area, you have a lot to do with the netball associations, football, you're always talking about what's the best time to run an event so you can get the kids that are playing football, playing netball, involved in tennis as well. And the tennis players can play netball and football and soccer. Anyway, over that COVID period, a lot of volunteers didn't have to work as sports were shut down. When it opened up again, a lot of these associations had no volunteers come back. They were in a habit of doing something else. Not that they're bad people. They enjoyed the time they had now. We lost 10 volunteers at the tennis club. My point is, if this goes on too long, a lot of players who it's too difficult for get in the habit of doing something else won't come back. And now you might say, well, that's okay. They're not going to be a tennis player anyway. But hang on a minute. It's not just about that. It's about the broader base. And there's a lot of people that are on that edge of doubting themselves and can be inspired to go to, to further distances. So if you have greater numbers, there's somewhere for our beginners to step into. There's somewhere for our intermediate players to step into. There's somewhere for our advanced players to play up. If you haven't got that solid base, then you don't get your beginners playing, all right? Then the intermediate players are the worst players and your, your whole base doesn't grow and the thing falls apart. So yes, we've got to get on it straight away. Plenty of food for thought. I'm just going to ask you one more. I know just away from UTR and country tennis, I know you're listening to Paul Anacone on our show last week, a long-time experienced coach, former player, but really made his name, I suppose, uh, as a coach in the game. You've been coaching a long time. I'm always intrigued to tap into the minds of coaches and the evolution, I suppose, of coaching and how how you've evolved as a coach over a long period and, and been able to summarise your own philosophy, that the things that you've you've stuck with over a long period. I just think you'll love the game. Like if, if you love the game and respect your clientele, you know, everybody that pays you, they're paying for your information. So it's got to be as good as you can do. And if you haven't got the right information, you've got to find it. You ring someone like Paul who will take your phone call. You ring another coach and ask their attitude. You know, it's all about us growing too. And, and uh, I love it. I'm very flattered that people, you know, can't drive a long way or, or cross the road for a lesson. You've got to take that very seriously. So at the end of each lesson, whether it's group, squad or private, you know, if they can walk out a little bit better and I can be smiling and I'm feeling good, you know, actually Nuke, I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time with Nuke a long time ago for a few years and he had this philosophy. It doesn't matter if you lose, even though he's a great winner. Yeah. If you've done the best you can, celebrate your day. But if you have a win, well, then celebrate like there's no tomorrow. So I do that with a bottle of red. I go to the cabinet. If I haven't done as well as I could do, it's a cheap bottle, but if it's a bloody good day, it's a good bottle, mate. That's how it works. Uh, indeed. A bottle of red to end the day. Graham Woofer Charlton. I enjoyed that chat earlier today. Everyone loves Graham Charlton. He's a uh, an experienced voice in uh, tennis. His thoughts on UTR, his thoughts on country tennis. 
I did receive a little bit of mail during the week. I'm going to hold it over to next week to give it justice because there is still uh, plenty of passion out there about uh, UTR. All thanks to Yarra Tennis coaching our chat tonight at Eaglemont Tennis Club just off the Eastern Freeway. Junior and adult programs available. Shane Scrutton is magnificent, Shane. 30 years coaching experience. His mission is simply to improve your game, whether you're a complete beginner or a serious player. Check out yarratennis.com. .au. Make sure you go shopping at Tennis Director uh, right throughout the week. They'll look after you. Use that promo code FIRSTSERV10. Get that nice little 10% discount. They are Australia's uh, favourite online uh, tennis store. So we are basically parked here uh, for the next uh, period of time, covering all the tournaments uh, domestically. Uh, Canberra this week, uh, Miami, of course, to continue. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, I think, is a, a chance the way he's actually playing uh, this week. We know he's not going to play the clay court season, but he might have some real impact at Miami uh, this week. Keep your correspondence coming through the first serve, SEN at gmail.com, the longer form. Keep an eye on our socials, our website, some great articles going up this week, and you can cover tennis seven days a week. Talk to you next Monday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.